Hey yo, we back up in this piece. <laughs> Today it's only Doug and Bug with you. Tug had to take a little leave of absence. He'll be back very shortly, I'm sure. We all have some football we want to talk about. So, you know, even as some notes in here, we're going to discuss a little bit. But before we get into our reviews, as per usual, we have plenty of news to get into. Are you ready for this, Bug? I think it's going to be a pretty good show. Let's do it. You know, the news just hasn't been the same without talking about the Bears a little bit. So we are talking about Matt Nagy here. <laughs> he has COVID now. I don't know what that means for the team as a whole, but hey, maybe getting away from Matt Nagy's coaching is a good thing. Yeah, God willing, uh, him not being in the building this week will somehow fix all the problems on the team. <laughs> uh, you know, his system doesn't work. But at the end of the day, there's still no offensive line. So in the grand scheme of things, what difference is it really going to make for the Bears this week? I don't know. They're playing a bad 49ers team here coming up. I don't think too much is going to matter. They're going to probably win. And they will probably end up saying, oh, look, we're in a better spot. And then the next time they play an even relatively decent team the cycle will start over. You can find out more about how Ben feels about the Bears on our website at pdtfootball.com. Yep, <laughs> just uh, just uh, released my weekly blog here on Monday. I'm not going to lie to you, I was hammered for most of this Bears game because as much as I thought maybe it wouldn't be completely embarrassing, Tom Brady still had Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. If you watch that game, you know what happened with Mike Evans. So, <laughs> I mean, that's all there really is to say here. Yeah, we're getting to a Tom Brady story. But first, I want to talk about some wild things around the league. Let's start off with the first touchdown of the day being a pass from Derrick Henry. And then also you had Daniel Jones catching the touchdown, combining the two greatest catches in New York Giants history. That little bit of a helmet catch, but also made that OBJ-style grab one-handed. Did Daniel Jones catch a touchdown? Yes, he did. Oh my god! And then there was a the two the first two touchdowns of the day on Sunday were trip play passes. The Derrick Henry touchdown. There was a double reverse, double pass touchdown out in New England too. Like it was, it was just wild. I'm sitting there watching Reds and I'm like, what is going on? Like when is there going to be a quarterback throw a pass to throw a touchdown today? It was crazy. It was all, it was actually really fun to watch. Man, the NFL is something else. Um, so is the Jaguars' offense. Um, without DJ Chark now for the entire season, that's something else, but in a bad way. DJ Chark was probably their best weapon. I'm not even sure. I mean, DJ Chark hasn't been playing amazing, but nobody has. So I don't know what to say about the Jaguars really here. Man, I I have no clue how this is going to work out for them in the end, honestly. They finally get a win. I think DJ Chark got hurt in that game anyway, but it is going to affect this offense going forward. And with a defense that struggled, even against the worst offenses in the league, I don't I don't feel good about uh, Jacksonville going forward here. They've kind of been hit by an injury bug at their skill positions that people low-key aren't talking about. 
DJ Chark being the most recent of it, but Travis Etienne going back to preseason, man, like it's just, things are not working out the way they wanted to. And then you get all the distractions of Urban Meyer and all, you know, all his drama. It, it's rough in Jacksonville right now. Thank God they got at least one win. Hey, maybe we'll see a double helping of Marvin Jones in the future. <laughs> one can only ball. hope, right? Um, one that hasn't been fully announced yet, but pretty sure Zach Wilson is probably done for the rest of the season as well. Looks like he tore a PCL there. The Jets did go ahead and trade for Joe Flacco, who was on the Eagles very briefly there. So Joe Flacco's back in, in a Jets uniform. It's his team for the time being. This is uh, not what they were hoping for out of that rookie quarterback, number two overall pick. Yeah, there's there's no way this is what they wanted, but what are you going to do about injuries, right? We've seen this right. a few times with rookie quarterbacks getting injured. As early, as recent as last year, but before that, another guy that I thought would have won rookie of the year had they played all year, Deshaun Watson. That kind of leads into another story we got here. Man, I don't want to spend a ton of time on the rumors, but what I do want to talk about is everything going on around will he be able to play if he gets traded. Obviously, we talked about it in the offseason. He was not happy with how Texas, the Texans handled the hiring of their new head coach. And he said, I'm not going to play. However, because the Texans didn't release him, because they didn't trade him, and because he still showed up, they had to pay him, but they've had him on some weird status. I can't remember ex- the exact terminology, so I don't want to screw it up here. But the league hasn't actually made a decision on if he's allowed to play or not because he has not been listed as a playable member of the Houston Texans all year. That kind of adds a dimension to any type of trade talks that's going on right now that a lot of people are starting to overlook because he has still been getting paid. He is still an active member of the NFL, but can he actually play? Right, he still has active litigation against him, too. So, all sorts of issues there. As per usual, the rumors are linking him to the Miami Dolphins. We don't know where Tua would end up in that situation. It sounds like he wouldn't go to Houston, though. They're looking for draft picks, and then possibly Tua going to a whole different team there. Maybe, potentially, even Carolina, which would take us into our next story here. Sam Darnold just got benched because he's not good. Mm-hmm. Wow, almost like a couple of us called that. <laughs> you know, it's crazy because a lot of, obviously with the struggles the Bears are going through, a lot of conversations are coming back up about Mitchell Trubisky. Sam Darnold was at least good enough that he got a second chance this season. Right, Trubisky didn't, and people for some reason don't want to admit that. Darnold wasn't good to begin with. I don't understand why he got the second chance. I also don't understand why if your logic is, Adam Gase and the Jets are so bad, Darnold deserves a second chance. How you can sit there and say, oh, Nagy and the Bears are so bad that Mitch deserves a second chance. The proper, the transitive property is not working here. I will say the one thing in favor of Mitchell Trubisky is that right now he's working with Brian Dable and behind Josh Allen. And we saw how well Josh Allen was coached up. That first season for him was pretty brutally bad. Mm-hmm. And now he's back-to-back years, he's in the MVP conversation. So maybe that has an effect, maybe not. But P.J. Walker came in for Carolina, which is what I really want to talk about here because Absolutely. we love P.J. Walker on this podcast. Absolutely. And since it's, you know, his name is P.J., 
I want to call it the Carolina Pajama Party. I don't know if that's allowable. Uh, I, I'll allow it. I'm not going right. to stop. I'm not going to stop this party. <laughs> I enjoy it. And, man, I've been a P.J. Walker fan, obviously, since he was in the XFL. A little rough going there, you know, not going to lie. But coming into a game that they had no shot of winning anyway, right. rough spot. I I think he I think he might be able to supplant himself as the permanent starter in Carolina, at least for this year. Past that, who knows? But, God, love to see it. I think last season he proved enough that he got another contract, kind of like a Taylor Heineke situation. Nobody expected him to start, but they're okay if he does for a little bit. So we'll see what happens there. Now it's time to talk about Tom Brady, though, because you know, we can't avoid it forever. <laughs> he just threw for his 600th career passing touchdown. And 600 first and, uh, and 600 second, and I think right. 600 third. Well, he was the first ever to reach 600, which is pretty cool. And he threw it to Mike Evans, who then handed the ball to a fan before realizing, oh, snap, I was supposed to give that ball to Tom Brady. They showed Mike Evans on the sideline. He's like, his face just went straight, oh, fuck. <laughs> and, and it's not even like, it's you know, he clearly forgot, and he caught three touchdown passes yesterday. All three of them went to fans wearing Mike Evans jerseys in the stands. Like, it, it's just, I don't know if that's just his thing now. I don't know if it's always been his thing, but he, without even thinking, that's where he went. So, man, I kind of respect what, it, but also, man, <laughs> understand the moment, which, you know, maybe if he did, maybe he drops one of the, drops that one. So, true, true. But the fan in that situation did strike up a deal. It's a pretty good one, as far as I'm concerned. He gets a, a different game ball, a helmet, and a couple of Tom Brady jerseys, and a signed Mike Evans jerseys, uh, Mike Evans jersey as well. And uh, his game cleats. And yeah, a thousand dollar credit to the team shop, season tickets for the rest of the year, and all of next year. When they came back from commercial, they showed the Buccaneers staffer getting the ball back and talking it like about five seconds of him talking to the fan. Nansen Romo said that dude was over there talking to this man, negotiating the entire commercial break. <laughs> and we talked about it earlier. He gave up half a million dollars for that haul. Now, when you think about it like that, he doesn't really win out. However, if you're a Buccaneers fan, more importantly, you're a football fan. First of all, you have to admit that Tom Brady's the best to ever play the game at this point. I don't right. think there's any way around it. We, I will definitely agree with you. He's had some things go his way. But we've talked we talked about it with teams in general before, too. I mean, the undefeated 72 Dolphins had things go their way. They're right. still the, one of the best teams. The best team ever, according to us, right? You get three signed items from him, one of them being a helmet, yeah. which I, personally I think helmets are better and more valuable than jerseys, even if they might not necessarily go for the price. Plus, you're obviously a Mike Evans fan. You're wearing his gear. You get signed stuff from him. A thousand more dollars to buy more Buccaneer shit. Oh, and by the way, you get to be there every game this year and next year because Brady's playing until he's 50, right? So you're going to get to see Tom Brady for two more years. I don't know. I, I think he. I think that's more valuable. I don't know this man's situation, but two tickets for the rest of this year and next year, he's going to be able to make memories with whoever he goes goes with. So, Absolutely. 
another point that you brought up earlier is that especially if he gets the same seats that he had, that's just unbelievable value. Right. <laughs> he did get his money back. Right. <laughs> I mean, wow, those seats aren't cheap. Put it that no, way. <laughs> not at all. And I'm sure I'm sure the NFL does it if low level minor league hockey's doing this, the NFL's definitely doing it. There's gonna be lucrative deals for playoff games for him to maintain those seats. He's he's gonna be sitting pretty for a little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't think we have any non-NFL pro news. Nothing new on those TV contracts for the USFL, right? I, I've been scouring. I haven't seen anything. There's always a chance that I miss it, uh, but I, I I haven't seen anything yet. So we'll just we'll keep an eye out for it, and I'll keep my ear to the ground as far as the FCF fan council goes as well. I haven't seen any updates on that either. It's been a few weeks now, too. If you guys have any updates for us, make sure to tweet them at us at BDT Football on Twitter because we want to know. We all talk about non-NFL pro news, so anywhere there is some, we would love to know about it. But let's go ahead and jump into college then. I do want to start off with COVID again, like we did for the NFL. The first COVID forfeit of the season happened just this past weekend. It was an FCS game. Drake was supposed to play Stetson. Yes, that is the same Stetson as the Hats, if you aren't familiar with Stetson. And... uh Drake had some COVID issues among apparently all of their athletes, coaches, managers, and staff. So basically everybody had some exposure to COVID. We don't know the extent of it, but we know that they didn't feel comfortable playing this game. So Drake forfeited the game. Stetson officially wins this one two to nothing. Now, if you don't know, there is technically a logical reason that forfeits are considered considered to be two to nothing wins for the other team. It's because the only scoring, only possible way to score in a game that is not credited to a single player is a safety. And so they give the team a safety. It's a team score. Now, why they don't just make up a new point system for a forfeit or just even keep it 0-0, but award a win-loss. I don't know. But, you know, there is some logic behind it, so that's cool, I guess. Stetson technically got a safety against Drake. <laughs> I think that's a... Wild. Yeah, I think that's an official stat now. Uh, so that's cool. Well, not for Drake. <laughs> um, also wanted to talk about DJ Uyunglele getting benched this weekend. This is the second Heisman favorite benched, or preseason Heisman favorite, I should say. Spencer Rattler was also benched by the Oklahoma Sooners. And uh, Caleb Williams has worked out for Oklahoma, got to say. He has played pretty well, at least, you know, for two of his six quarters that he's seen, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, do, Tyson, do you want to talk Tyson about this game right now, or do we want to wait a little bit longer before we talk about that uh, that OU game? Let me just say, Tyson Pumachan for Clemson did not have a good game in his relief of DJ Uyunglele, and Clemson lost. They are three losses on the season now. We all had them in the playoff, I believe, to start the season. I'm sure most people did. This team is not good right now, and it's all on that offense. The defense is actually pretty decent. This offensive line is 
bad. All you know, Memphis is going through their own issues on offense, even at the quarterback position, having to start a true freshman and then injuries this week. Not going to get into all that. We're not talking about Memphis. But what I do want to bring up here is we've talked about it a few times before, actually, that programs like Alabama, like Ohio State, like Clemson, they're different in the sense that if you don't perform, you're hosed because your backup is also a five-star recruit who wants their chance to play. Right. So if you're not a fan or following these big name schools consistently, seeing them just go, hey, we're going to put in the backup quarterback to start now might sound weird because that was that's kind of been my thought with with all this as well as, you know, whether it's Caleb Williams, whether it's Tyson Pumunchin, like it's weird to me because Memphis doesn't have that option. UCF doesn't have that option. Cincinnati doesn't have that option. Not that Cincinnati's been struggling, but man, college has always seemed like it's going to be an injury that's going to take the quarterback out with these programs. That is not the case. And really, it it comes down to a lot of recruiting issues as well. Like you can't keep rolling out a dude that's that's not performing when you're a five star sitting on the bench. Why would you want to come back there? You're never going to get a shot, right? No, we've seen it definitely a couple times already with Ohio State. You know, they started a master T at running back, and then the true freshman Dragon Henderson has proven that he's better. So he's the starter now. You know, C.J. Stroud had to sit a game. So then you had Kyle McCord come in and throw for 400 yards. And it's like, oh, snap. C.J. Stroud better step it up. He wants to keep his job. And he has. It's wild. But, yeah, uh, Clemson's in a bad way. Let's go ahead and talk about that Oklahoma game since you did want to talk about that one. Uh, Caleb Williams did not look good the first three quarters. The fourth quarter was amazing. And they scored, like, what, 35 points in the last eight minutes to win? It was so bad that... Kansas was ahead until about the fourth quarter. I think at the start of the fourth quarter, maybe they were down two or three. I don't remember exactly how the scoring broke out in that one. They got on the radio and said, hey, the gates are open. We're beating the number three team in the country. Get down to the fucking field. It's free. And (laughs) there was a time lapse of how the day went, you know, pregame. It was thinner than pregame than any pregame crowd I've ever seen. Like, I'm not even kidding you, probably 40 people, and that's not an exaggeration. Kickoff, probably looking at 1,000, 2,000 maybe. And there were still empty seats by the end of this game, don't get me wrong, but they had a significantly higher number of fans after they opened the gates for free and took away needing a ticket to enter than they did at the start of this one. It's a real shame that Kansas has no finishing power, right? Because they, oh, man. man, well, and, and the thing was, it wasn't even like Oklahoma was just playing so bad that Kansas was in it. No, Oklahoma was playing all right. I or, mean, some parts know. of the game were okay, but there were some really bad throws. There were some like uncharacteristically dumb plays, right? Oklahoma didn't look like they were ready for this game which has been the problem with them all season, honestly. I mean, Oklahoma was supposed to be one of the best offenses we've ever seen this season with Spencer Rattler and all the weapons that he has. He just has not been producing the way it was supposed to. 
and a defense that was supposed to take a step up. You know, Alex Grinch had them performing better than they have in a long time. But where did they go, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like he's kept improving, and, and at the very least, if not regressed. Yeah, it's... I don't know what's uglier. Oklahoma winning these games or Clemson losing these games. And I I think we've shit on the ACC a little too much because Clemson is now on their conference schedule losing to conference opponents. And I know Syracuse always seems to beat them. But it was man, one time. It was literally once. <laughs> Syracuse always seems to be right in the game with them. All right, that's more fair. That's been okay. like through four of the last five years. But still... Yeah, now they've lost to Pitt, and uh, Pitt actually looks pretty good as far as real ACC title contenders. Uh, Wake Forest is now seven and zero and like looking decent. Unreal. And to start off talking about Heisman favorites and how they're not performing, talking about Pitt, they've got a Heisman hopeful at this point. They do, but before we get to them, I do want to talk about the new overtimes. Because we had two games this weekend hit multiple overtimes. Technically, the longest game in college football history happened over this weekend. Not in terms of time, but in terms of the number of overtimes that it reached. Illinois at Penn State hit nine overtimes. And the final score was 20 to 18. This was really bad. (laughs) So I, I didn't watch the game. I was watching two other games. And I kind of kept up with this one. When I saw it went to overtime, I was like, okay. You know, I, if the, you know, we'll see how it goes. Second overtime ends, and it's 16 to 16. They kicked two field goals. So it was 10 to 10, tie, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal. And then somebody reminded me that the overtime rules have changed. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have to find this game. <laughs> Now, there were people saying, hey, let's give some credit to the defense. Let's give some credit to the defenses. Overtimes, three, four, five, six. Yeah. So there wasn't a single good – there was – I don't want to say there wasn't a single good offensive play. Well, there wasn't a single – there was no good offensive play call, at least. Yeah. Maybe one least. or two decent plays. But, man, that was – The defense really didn't have to the defense. Yeah, right. the defense really didn't have to do much. And, yeah, they they stuffed – each defense stuffed a run in those first six uh, overtimes there. We didn't really see the defense have to do much of anything, just overthrowing balls, drop passes. That was the first six overtimes. Illinois and Penn State both scored in the seventh overtime. Eighth overtime was a defensive stand for both teams. Ninth overtime, I don't know what happened. But, man. I mean, they, Penn State choked it is what it felt like. Penn they, State did choke it, and I, I also want to give a shout-out to Brandon Peters having to come in after Sitowski gets his wrist broken on a broken play, trying to right. make the play, diving, gets hit, makes the throw, receiver drops it. So, again, that defense the did nothing. Sixth overtime, I think that was. It was. Yep. Yeah. That was, was, that was the best play to that point in overtime, and it – it was resulted in a painful to watch, too. You could tell it was broken right away. Just the way he landed on it and the way it twisted. Yeah, I, 
that's what I couldn't tell was if it was the hit or the way he landed on it. Oh, it was None definitely the way he landed. Fun. That was so bad. <laughs> it looked fun. But yeah, there have been people calling this one of the dumbest rule changes in history. And I kind of get why. At the same time, I do think this was pretty fun. Um, I had a great time. <laughs> I don't know why college football had to ruin a bad thing, except that the longest game before this was seven overtimes, and it was an SEC game. And you can't have an SEC game looking that bad. I, I'm all for the for the idea that we want to speed it up, we want to have fewer plays, but this essentially looks like a shootout to me, honestly. Like, there's nothing good about this. I don't want to see this in the college football playoff. I don't know. I don't – I really don't enjoy it. And I I wasn't a huge fan of college overtime rules to begin with, mm-hmm. but it was infinitely better than what we had this past week. See, I am a huge fan of the way overtime used to work for college. Both teams start on their own – you know, on the opponent's 25, you get a chance to go get a touchdown. And if the other team can match it, it plays on. I think that's fantastic. I really wish the NFL would do something similar. Maybe not from the 25, maybe from like the 35 or 40. Maybe even from midfield. Just try something different. Get the hands in both offenses. Get the ball in both offenses' hands. Really give both teams a chance to go win it. I think that's fantastic. And if we went back to that, I would have no complaints. But as far as this goes, I, again, I get it. It does shorten the game. I mean, it went to nine overtimes, and it was definitely not the longest game ever in terms of time. And and he, I think that's what people overlooked. I think it's what the NCAA, I should say, overlooked when they decided to go to this. Because once you get to that third overtime, it's one play, one play, one play, one play. If you screw up that play, which we saw happen for six straight overtimes, right? this is what happens. So... Does it go faster? Yes. Is it more exciting? I don't know. I mean, I thought I, it was pretty exciting. I'm not going to lie. They were it, really it bad does plays. But I was on it, the edge of my seat the whole damn time. <laughs> and, and I think it was the seventh overtime. They scored both scored in the sixth and the seventh. It was two great defensive plays. If you have that and great I think offensive they scored plays. In the seventh and stopped each other in the eighth. That's, that's what it was. If if it if it had been like those last three overtimes, mm-hmm. we'd be singing the praises of this. Right. But the problem is you had four overtimes of garbage, trash plays. <laughs> that's that's what really killed it. And to me, I would have rather them not changed it. I, I'm not like I said. I'm not the biggest fan of the way college overtime has been. Uh, but it is more exciting than what the NFL does. Ultimately, I would like the NFL to either go to the way college football did it or take a page out of FIFA's book. You play 10 minutes. If it's not this, you're going to play the full 10 minutes, a shortened period. Maybe change the clock rule so it's just a running clock or whatever with a 20, you know, faster right. play clock, whatever. Make some small changes there. 10 minutes, you play the whole thing. You're still tied, then go to that two-point thing. I would even like to see college do that, for that matter. Honestly, I'd be okay with that as well. But, you know, is what it is. Rules are what they are. We don't have the power to change them. So, 
Very Maybe true. we'll have some more of these in the future. Actually, we had two this weekend, right? So Princeton we beat Harvard this weekend in five overtimes. The final score of this one, 18 to 16, another real low scoring affair. Um, another couple of botched two-point conversion attempts. <laughs> two formerly unbeaten Ivy League teams, no more. And man, that's a that's another thing. It's a rough way to lose a game is on these two-point conversions when the stakes are so high. At the same time, I do kind of respect the logic of, you know, if you can't get into the end zone from your own two, from the two or three-yard line in one play, maybe you don't deserve to win. If you can't stop somebody from getting two or three yards, well, it's you only have one opportunity. You can't stop them. Maybe you don't deserve to win. There is some logic to that. It's kind of shaky. <laughs> but man, it is it is interesting. <laughs> Who knows me? There. And let's go ahead and talk about the Heisman contenders for this season. So I saw an odds list recently for the real Heisman favorites so far this season. None of them really jumped out to me as an obvious pick. So I want to run through this list with you and get let's share some opinions about these guys so we'll start with the sec matt corral bryce young how weird is it that it's like four five years in a row now that a alabama quarterback is in the heisman trophy talk right i hate i kind of hate it <laughs> it's crazy and and the thing is bryce young and matt corral are getting so much attention because of the massive sec bias in the college in the college football media right now to the point that Alabama is back in the top four in the AP poll. I think they're at number three. I think they jumped Oklahoma. Oklahoma deserved to be jumped. Don't get me wrong, but come on. Right. Anyway, that's besides the point. We'll, no, we'll, get to and, some, we'll get to some rankings later where we have Alabama in a more realistic place. Both these guys deserve it. Both these guys have been playing great this year. Yeah. No, quite, no doubt about that. I am just so tired of the SEC bias in the media. <laughs> I can't I can't stand it, man. Well, then let's go ahead and talk about the real only contender out of the ACC right now. Kenny Pickett, quarterback for Pittsburgh. And, man, he has looked pretty solid. This may be a year where solid wins the Heisman Trophy because the guys we thought were going to dominate just have not. And I think that's actually a good assessment here because the guys that we thought were going to dominate have been quite the opposite of solid. They've been garbage. So I, I don't know how you can say anything other than they've been garbage. Right. We expected the, we didn't just expect them to be solid. We expected them to put up insane numbers and they're putting up insane negative numbers. <laughs> like, so solid being consistent, being reliable. It's, it feels like half the guys that have already won the Heisman that we talked about in our bracket, that's how they won it, was just being dependable, being old, reliable out there. It's disappointing that that's kind of the season we're looking at right now. But I think you're right. I think there's a very real possibility that's how this shakes out this year. One thing Kenny Pickett will have to overcome is that loss to Western Michigan out of nowhere. But he has put together some, a couple of really good ACC conference games at this point and has Pitt looking pretty good. 
Let's jump to the Big Ten, though. We have a trio out of Ohio State and also the running back for Michigan State, Kenneth Walker III. But that trio for Ohio State, C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, and Chris Olave, quarterback, running back, wide receiver. I think all three of them are kind of going to kind of dig into each other's votes, unfortunately. I think if someone's going to say, well, I want to pick the best player on that Ohio State offense, which way are they going to go? And different people might have different answers there. I think Ohio State's going to lose this Heisman because they have too many contenders. I, Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head because their offense is able to do everything because of the guys that you mentioned. I don't think there's any way we see a Buckeye, a Buckeye win in this, this year. God, words. <laughs> I will say C.J. Stroud is basically a redshirt freshman. And Travion Henderson is a true freshman. So we'll see them back and probably in Heisman contention again at some point in the future. The only real contender out of the Big 12 right now would be running back Bijan Robinson out of Texas. I know people have floated his name. He has certainly looked like the best player in college football at times. But Texas also has three losses and is not really in contention for anything big, which hurts his chances. It shouldn't, but it definitely does. What do you think about B. John Robinson? I think B. John Robinson is the only reason that we've called Texas consistently the best to one loss, two loss, three loss team. There's just not enough help for him on the defensive side of the ball. And even at times on the offensive side of the ball, if they become one dimensional, like any running back, you're going to get shut down. And if you can't pass the ball, that's not on the running back. You've been doing your job well all day. It's not like Big Ten defenses or Big 12 defenses are known for having stellar secondaries. Figure it out, Texas. And then we have two long shots here. I hate to call him a long shot, but he is a quarterback for a group of five team. Desmond Ritter, quarterback Cincinnati. Didn't have that good a performance against Navy. You better be blowing people out if you want contention for these awards, right? It's, it's a bad spot to be because I do think he deserves to be in the conversation, but I doubt he will be. I think that game against Navy hurts Desmond Ritter's Heisman hopes more than it hurts Cincinnati's college football playoff hopes. That's just, you know, that's that's my opinion. But the way I see it, I don't know how you can pull them down in rankings or playoff talks when you've allowed other teams to get it. Like Alabama has one loss to an unranked Texas A&M, who's only ranked now to try and make Alabama look better. Right. So Desmond Ritter suffers more from this than I think Cincinnati should. But will Cincinnati suffer from this this uh, close win? We'll see. I Oklahoma had to drop after that game. Had to. But the fact that Alabama's the one that jumped him and not Ohio State is ridiculous. I'm not going to complain. That sounds like a good argument to me. Uh, the last long shot that we have here is a defensive player. Probably right now the best defensive player in the country. He's also a defensive tackle. So he's never going to win. But Jordan Davis of the Georgia Bulldogs is an incredible player. I would love to have a guy like that on my team. And he is... Just a beast. Man, it's it's crazy to sit here and look at because Kayvon Thibodeau 
would probably be in this conversation too if he didn't start the season injury. And realistically, Thibodeau would be more likely to win it. He'd be much in the same position that Chase Young was two years ago. But missing games as a defensive player all but ruins your shots. So Jordan Davis, again, being a defensive tackle, it's not as sexy. But the way that he's playing and what he's doing for that Bulldogs defense, it's hard to ignore. If he can stay healthy and doesn't have any ridiculous suspensions coming up, which he won't have a suspension the likes of what Chase Young had to go through, he might have a chance. And if there was going to, again, we talk about this, you know, being solid, you know. So if there was going to be a year that a defensive player was going to win it, maybe with everything else going on, maybe that opens the door for him. That would be incredible to see. It will not happen, though. So (laughs) fun to talk about. Let's go ahead and talk about our last quote-unquote news story here. Uh, We have the new BDT trench ratings out. Every Monday, we're going to do this uh, Monday as we record. I know you're listening to this on a Wednesday. But let's go ahead and talk about the top 10 of BDT trench ratings. If you do want more in-depth ratings here, I rate all 130 FBS teams, rank rank every conference, I rank each offense, defense, strength of schedule, all that. If you want to see all that extended list, go ahead and sign up on our Patreon, patreon.com slash football. But we do give our top 10 every week for free. So here we go. Let's go ahead and start us off with number 10. That's going to be Alabama. I do not think they have done enough to deserve the uh, love they're getting from the people. I don't either. After that one loss, just has not played well enough to deserve being ranked too much higher than this. I'm not going to lie. Their offense is fine. Their defense is pretty good. They're not what they once were. And this season, number 10 right now feels more right to me than number four. I've got to ask you, because to me, Alabama and Oklahoma are pretty similar in the sense that they just are not performing the way everybody thought they would. So what's the difference here? Why has Alabama dropped a game and Oklahoma remains undefeated? Uh, Because the strength of schedule for Alabama is a little bit better. I will say that Oklahoma has certainly deserved to lose like three or four games at this point, and they just have found a way to win. So I don't know what that difference necessarily is. I do know that Jimbo Fisher is supposed to be a pretty good coach, and maybe he does pulls one of these out every once in a while. That'd be all right explanation to me. Um, I'll right. give you a, I'll give you a freebie here. Number eleven. I know breaking our own rules here, but number eleven is Oklahoma, so they're neck and neck for the BDT trench ratings here. Um, well, let's go back to the top ten. Number nine. I still have Iowa. They were on a bye week, as well as number eight, Michigan State. Also on a bye week this weekend. They both kind of needed it. Next week for Michigan State is a huge one. Actually, this coming Saturday, a huge one in East Lansing against the in-state rivals team up north. And Iowa gets back in action again in Big Ten play this coming weekend. Interesting, though, that Iowa did drop three spots. Not necessarily because they did anything wrong. They were on a bye week after all but because a couple of teams jumped them. I think deservedly so. You're going to like these. Number seven, UTSA. Number six, San Diego State. 
I, I love it. I love the group of five getting love here. I especially love the, the level of love we're giving to UTSA here. This team's built something over the past few years, and it's taken way too long for it to be recognized. SCSU, for that matter, too, last year, I'll write it off as a COVID year, the struggles that they had, and they still had a very good season. But starting out 7-0, and and then the win they had this week, we'll talk about that game a little bit more later. Being able to hang on and get wins in close games is more valuable than people want to admit. I absolutely agree. I will also say with how UTSA and San Diego State both have been rising through these polls every week, it seems like they're playing their best football each and every week, which is pretty incredible. Ohio State does stand pat at number five, which leads us to our top four. If the season ended up playing out exactly like our trench ratings here, the playoff would end up as number one Georgia versus number four Wake Forest. And number two, that team up north against number three, Cincinnati. Pretty wild. (laughs) Man, Cincinnati, they almost lost it this week. They almost screwed themselves. So the fact that they're still number three in our poll and number two in the AP poll is amazing. The fact that Michigan isn't in the top four in the AP poll is absurd to me as well. Wake Forest, I understand a little bit more why nobody else is kind of giving them the love. I don't know, man. Like, it's – this is not a top four I would have expected to see in any poll at the start of the season. Oh, absolutely. And I kind of don't like it right now. But you know what? This is – Purely statistical, take every ounce of bias out of it, kind of a rating system. So, it is what it is right now. These are how this, this is how these teams have played so far this season. That is, I think that is a new record for the BDT trench ratings as well. Three group of five teams in that top 10. Pretty incredible. Love to see it. Nothing else to really say about that. <laughs> That's going to take us to our college game reviews. You want to start us off with your game to watch? Yeah, I uh, I picked USC at Notre Dame, the uh, national rivalry game there, battle for the jeweled shillelagh. I don't know that I expected this to be a fantastic game, but USC definitely did kind of make it a game in the fourth quarter. They scored, made it, what, 10, 10 to 24, I think. Get a turnover, all of a sudden it's 16 to 24. I'm like, okay, this this game's coming back, this game's coming back. Then they miss the extra point. I think that really sucked all the momentum away from them. And then Notre Dame got the additional touchdown to make it 16 to 31, our final there. That, man, that I've really got a point to that PAT. College kickers, they will kill you every time you need them to win it for you. That was kind of the game changer there. It, I was honestly not too disappointed in USC's offensive performance with everything they've had going on this year. Notre Dame keeps rolling along. Brian Kelly has is now three wins better than Newt Rockney. Winning his coach of all time for Notre Dame, going to keep it going there. So I'm interested to see where Notre Dame ends up ranked at the end of the season. If Cincinnati is their only loss in the year, 
they can't make the playoff that way. But then you really got to look at what are we going to do about Cincinnati? And so if you're wanting a group of five team in the college football playoff, it's you got to root for Cincinnati and you got to root for Notre Dame. I definitely agree. The overtime win at Florida State definitely scared some people. So I don't think this Notre Dame team is going to be ranked all that highly. I mean, I guess we'll see how they do against Navy. <laughs> uh, my game to watch this week was our now number four team in the country, Wake Forest, beating Army at West Point. 70-56 to 56 was the final score of this one. Now, we all came into this game with some questions about Wake Forest's offense. Said, you know, hey, Sam Hartman, he is pretty good. But nobody knows about him for a reason, right? He's like one of those efficient guys, gets you enough yards to get down the field and score two, three times in the game. But that's about it. And then you watch this game, and you're seeing dimes from like 70 yards out. I mean, this dude was launching them. Army was breaking off huge runs every other play. Here's the craziest stat, though. Wake Forest scored 70 points, right? You know what their time of possession was? 17 minutes. Unreal. Okay, they just scored every play. It felt like wild, wild game. Never expected this for a second, but I'm so glad I watched it. What's even crazier is that Army obviously possessed the ball for the rest of that time and still put up 56 points of their own. Like, you have that much time of possession. Typically, you're moving the ball methodically and only putting up 21 on a crazy day. You're putting up over 30 points. Right. 56. Good Lord. It is the new record for highest scoring game for both teams. I'm talking about combined score there of, uh, what would that be, 126 points? 120. So. Is it 126 or 123? I feel like I did the math the other day. I mean, it's 70 to 56, so that's definitely 126. <laughs> um, but then let's go ahead and talk about Tug's game of the week. San Diego State coming into Air Force. That elevation sounded like it was going to pose a problem, but you know, then everybody remembered, oh, yeah, San Diego State runs the ball better than almost anybody else in the country. <laughs> this one ended 20 to 14 here, and... Really, Air Force punted the ball um, down by six with, like, three minutes to go in the game. I don't think it was even that much. I think it was, like, a minute 20 left in the game. Uh, It just – I don't know. I don't know how you make that call with two timeouts. I I will say – Air Force had obviously done a good job of start stopping San Diego State in the second half of this game. San Diego State did most of their scoring in the first half. Yeah. And in the second half, Air Force really got back into it. Obviously, your defense is doing something. Yeah, I think it was 20 to nothing at half, and then 20 to 14 down there with a couple, there's a minute or two left. But yeah, there's not enough time. You know, we didn't have all your timeouts. They get one first down, the game's over. So that, Seems questionable. You know, I I told Tug this in the moment. 
and he hates me for it, but I'll say it again. You know, I can't tell you whether or not that was the right decision. I didn't watch the game. I don't know the whole situation. Probably not the smartest move to punt that ball. <laughs> uh, gotta at least try to win the game. But let's go ahead and talk about our picks this week. We all picked Notre Dame. We all picked Wake Forest. I was the only one who picked San Diego State. Yeah, I mean, kudos to you. I thought maybe the home field advantage would do a little bit more for Air Force. But it is what it is. I mean, good teams are going to find ways to win no matter what they're facing up against. And I think that's exactly what we saw in this one. You did go 2-1, and one, though, this week, which brings you up to 500 on the season, 13-13. and 13. You're getting back in the game. I'm sure I'll go one and two next week and end up a game below 500 again. So we go. <laughs> uh, did have some bonus games. I know we've talked about most of these already. One that we haven't talked about, another top 10 team going down. Number eight, Oklahoma State lost at Iowa State this weekend. Oklahoma State still has a potential playoff path, technically, I guess, if they were to beat Oklahoma twice. Um, maybe, probably not. So, Oklahoma State, I, uh, they had a decent game, honestly. There was a questionable call. Iowa State ended up getting a touchdown on that play. I uh, mean, there was also a questionable taunting call against Iowa State anyway. So, I guess it evens out. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, we did talk about Illinois, Penn State. We did talk about Oklahoma, Kansas. Uh, we have talked about Cincinnati Navy a little bit. 27-20, to 20, not exactly the style points that Cincinnati needs. But they did get the win. That's the most important thing for sure. Also had Oregon holding off UCLA at UCLA. And uh, the Bruins were the favorites in this one. Oregon holds on at the end. Crazy, crazy finish to this one. Dorian Thompson-Robinson ends up getting knocked out of the game. Uh, freshman backup comes in for UCLA. Starts putting together what looks like a, an amazing comeback drive. Down three with three minutes left to go. Throws an interception. Just brutal. He stared that receiver down like it was the first pair of titties he's ever seen. He did not <laughs> move his head a fucking inch. It is no surprise he got picked off. But he looked good. He, he did. looked good until that pass. And Oregon really didn't look all that good in the second half of that game. So we'll see if they can keep going undefeated through the Pac-12 schedule. The rest of the way, anyway, I kind of doubt it at this point, the way they played this game. But we will see for sure. That Oregon State game, you know, formerly known as Civil War, that is going to be about... an incredible game this season because Oregon State is on like a terror, beating people they haven't beaten since the 60s. So we'll see. We'll see what the Beavers can do. You're talking about duck face beaver carnage? Yes, sir. Love every second of it. Can't wait. Let's talk about a couple of FCS games as well. A couple of big upsets here, too. Uh, first up, McNeese beats number 16, Incarnate Word, 28-20. to 20. Pretty incredible. Knocks UIW out of first place in that conference. McNeese isn't first place either. They were, like, last place in the conference, so I don't know where this one came from. <laughs> I'm sure football. UIW didn't know where it came from either. That's the whole problem. Uh, Northern Iowa upsets South Dakota State, number 20 over number 6 there. 26-17 to 17 is your final score. 
Northern Iowa kicker Matthew Cook hit four of four field goals, including two from beyond 50 yards. The best kicking performance we've probably seen in all of college football this season. Honestly, really incredible there. Bad week for South Dakota in general, though. South Dakota also losing this weekend. Just, uh, you know, that's what the Missouri Valley Conference does to you. South Dakota and South Dakota State go down. Did want to highlight Villanova over Rhode Island. This was an expected result, but definitely not the expected score. 44 to nothing. Do not know what has happened to the Rams as of late. This is kind of brutal, honestly. Rhode Island looked pretty good the first couple of games of the season. Really falling off hard. The big upset of the week, Weber State over number two, Eastern Washington, 35-34. Got to figure Eric Barrier is probably now a little bit out of that conversation for the Walter Payton Award. Cole Kelly's to lose for sure at this point, right? I think it has to be. And I got to say thank you, Weber State, because you opened the door for the Southern Illinois Salukis to creep into number three in the country. So, man. Absolutely wild. Feels like <laughs> SIU has been sneaking their way to a couple of just insanely tight wins that they have no business really competing before. So, wild season. <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Watch some SCS football if you get the chance. Also do want to highlight Princeton is now the lone undefeated team in the Ivy League. They went into this weekend with three undefeated teams, including Princeton, Harvard, and Dartmouth. Dartmouth did lose to Columbia 19 to nothing. Columbia was undefeated as recently as last weekend. They are now what five and one on the season. So very good Ivy League all around this year. Just pretty incredible to see. It's the last time you're able to say that about the Ivy League. I'm going to go ahead and say never. <laughs> In my lifetime, anyway. Not that well, I can did, remember, that's for sure. Did have some players to watch. Let's go ahead and start with Tugs. Uh, he picked the leading rusher for San Diego State, who ended up not leading them in rushing in this game. <laughs> pretty wild. Well, what's funny, what's extra funny, too, is he wasn't the lead rusher, but the guy that was the lead rusher is Chance Bell. Don't know if there's any relation, but the wrong Bell was the Bell cow. (laughs) Yeah, Greg Bell here only got 10 rushes for 42 yards. Either way. He got enough for San Diego State to win the game. I'm sure he's happy with the result. Yeah, I, team player, no way he's upset with a win. I guess I'll go next. I took Rashad Wisdom, kind of thinking we'll just have to wait and see what happens in this one. And that's really kind of how it went. Didn't have a stellar, amazing game. Two tackles, one of them was a TFL. But, hey, Louisiana Tech – Probably didn't want to throw his way. Didn't want anything to do with him. UTSA improved to eight now. So, obviously, him not being a huge part of the defense didn't matter too much. My player to watch was Drake London, wide receiver for USC. Again, that six foot five body frame. You know, really just beautiful when it works out well. But if you can't create separation, it doesn't matter too much. 
You have to be able to separate. You have to be able to run routes. He apparently can't do either at a high enough level. <laughs> uh, over 170 yards in this game for him. No touchdowns, though. And that's really the difference in this game. If he got in the end zone a couple of times, this game would have looked a lot different. I know that's a mind-blowing idea there. If USC scored more points, they would have had a better chance to win. But also, I mean, Drake London, 6'5", wide receiver. How are you not getting into the end zone? Man, you got to be a red zone threat. I think part of it, too, is just game planning, poor game planning there. USC looked lost when they got in the red zone. That is that was probably the one thing that stood out to me because otherwise you wouldn't know that they were dealing with a head coaching change and all the other stuff that they've had to deal with this year. They looked pretty good. Not inside the 20, though. I said let's go ahead and jump right into the NFL reviews here. Also had three games to watch, three players to watch out of the NFL. I wanted to start here because I picked a absolute stinger of a game. Uh, Washington at Green Bay. I even said it on the episode. I do not expect this to be a great game, but I just have a feeling that it might be better than people think. And I was totally wrong. The only player who showed up was Terry McLaurin. I saw pieces of this game, and I even had a couple Packers fans admit to me that there were calls going their way that should not have. But I can't belabor that point when Washington's giving up the football, it seems, on every other drive. They had, what, four interceptions and two or three fumbles? It was as bad of a performance as what the Bears put out yesterday. To that end, the fact that the Chiefs did as poorly in their game against the Titans, which was my game, they lost 3-27, to makes me feel a little bit better about how the Bears are doing because nothing was working for them. And their offensive line is so shitty that Patrick Mahomes went into concussion protocol. He's fine, but I think Andy Reid made a smart move. Hey, we're not winning this one. You're done. We're not. There's no point in putting you back out there. And I respect the move. It's really interesting to me that the Titans have gone from you know, being the only team the Jets have beaten this season to now beating the Bills and the Chiefs in back-to-back weeks. I don't know what to make of the Titans at this point. Almost feels like they play to their competition, right? That's almost the way you have to view it. But if they can consistently beat the best teams in the NFL, that would have to, by very definition, make them a Super Bowl contender. It'd be very interesting to see how the Titans end up finishing this regular season. Are the Chiefs one of the best teams in the NFL right now? Now we're asking the real questions. Because... One of the teams that is one of the best teams, at least in the AFC, I think they're tops of the AFC, and second place is the Raiders, is the Cincinnati Bengals, who won 41-17 to over Baltimore. That Wild. was Tug's game to watch. Wild. Oh, by the way, the Bengals and Raiders have both lost to the Bears. I don't understand the <laughs> NFL this year. I don't understand the NFL this year. It's almost as crazy as college football, which is great. <laughs> it's utter <laughs> insanity. 41 to 17. I, there was, Tug even picked the Bengals to win this. There's no There's way no he way predicted he this, this big of a blowout. No. Just unreal. Not a chance. <laughs> Just unreal. Uh, I guess that rolls us right into our picks here because he was the only one who picked Cincinnati. 
he was the only one who picked Green Bay. We both picked the Titans. He picked the Chiefs. So a uh, little bit of record reversal there. We both went one and two there. Doug went two and one. But, man, I don't think he believed he was going two and one <laughs> as hard as it would actually happen here. Green Bay destroyed Washington. And Cincinnati demolished Baltimore. Unbelievable. I, you know, I, I I have no explanation for what's going on with the Chiefs. I have no explanation for what happened to Baltimore. But I'll say it again. I don't know if the Packers are that good of a team. I really don't. And everything that kind of factored in, all those turnovers from Washington, maybe the defense is a little better than anybody wants to give them credit for. Because I don't think anybody's jumping up to say the Packers have a top defense in the league. It's kind of getting hard to ignore it at this point though that's certainly a fair take i respect that at the same time i don't know if i still respect the green bay defense <laughs> maybe, I, I, maybe that's, that's a personal folly of mine i don't know that's the problem i don't know that i do either but i don't think the answer is their offense is that good i really don't and speaking about the packers offense Devontae adams is going to be out this week on thursday as well due to covid so it I guess maybe this will finally be a little bit more telling of what this off their offense is really made of. I I don't know. I don't know. I have no I idea. <laughs> I don't understand the NFL right now. <laughs> One wide receiver that I know did very well this weekend was Tug's player to watch, Jamar Chase. Wow, what a game for him! Two hundred and one yards, eighty-one of them on one play. That was a touchdown as well for him. Ten targets, he had eight catches on it. I mean, Jamar Chase is by far and away the offensive rookie of the year so far. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And it's funny because I, I know we're not a fantasy podcast, but his comments in the preseason turned everybody off to him. And now he's one of the, you know, He's putting up huge numbers, not just fantasy-wise, but actual production numbers for the Cincinnati Bengals. The connection is there between him and Joe Burrow. And another guy that people might not have been looking at for fantasy football is Cooper Cup, who was your player to watch. You want to talk about the game he had? Man, unreal. 10 catches, 156 yards, two touchdowns. This one puts him firmly in the lead in all three major receiving categories. Catches, yards, touchdowns. Cooper Cup is the best receiver in the NFL. Right now, that is an undisputed fact statistically. No way I would have ever guessed that going into the year. <laughs> what's what's crazy to me, like I again, not a fancy podcast. I'm in a 14 man league. I got him at pick four twelve. On the whim that Matt Stafford was going to make a difference in that offense. No, nobody on this planet thought that he would make this difference in that offense. He's the number one wide receiver in the NFL this year, by far. And then your player to watch, J.J. Watt. Uh, he burned me in the past. How did he do for you? It looks like he burned me, too. One tackle for loss. I think that's actually better than what he did for me. So 
Arizona still won again a situation where it's not that big of a deal. This is why I don't pick defensive players typically. I wanted to change it up, and uh, I had the biggest whiff of the year. It's okay, though. We'll be, it's fine. It's fine. I know it does feel like defensive players in the NFL are a lot harder to predict. But, uh, man, let's talk about the Cardinals here for just a second because who would have ever guessed that the last standing undefeated team would be the Arizona Cardinals. Not only that, would they be 7-0 and and be the only undefeated team for like the last four or five weeks? Yeah, so ever since they beat the Rams, right? That was the battle of the undefeateds, and the, the other unde- last undefeated team went down that week as well. I'll tell you this much. You know, everybody wants to say, oh, well, the Bears were able to go to the playoffs twice with Trubisky as QB, and that's been a big thing that's been going around. Last year, they made the playoffs because the Cardinals choked. I don't think the Cardinals want that to ever happen again. I think they remember that. I think that's at the forefront of their mind of how close they were to going to the playoffs. And really, with how they played at times last year, they could have at any point hit their stride and dominated the playoffs. I'm a little concerned that they won't be able to keep this up all year. Kyler Murray exited the game for a few plays, was in the medical tent, took a safety. The Texans' defense is not good, but they were getting after him. I don't think we're going to see the first 17-0 team. I don't. I, I highly doubt it as well, but I wouldn't have thought they would be 7-0 at this point in the season either. So we'll have to see. Now, one thing I will say as well, this highlights the importance of getting your guy, right? Um, Josh Rosen was definitely not the right quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. And Kyler Murray, at this point, clearly seems to be. It's pretty incredible. Also, wanted to talk about, remember preseason and even into week one, week two, there was talks of Chandler Jones and Jordan Hicks requesting trades. And uh, those requests seem to have died down here. (laughs) Well, it sure is everything, right? As they are the best team in the NFL so far. So, hey, you know, don't want to get traded away from a Super Bowl contender. (laughs) I mean, Zach Ertz went to bed, what, one and four and woke up six and oh, or five and oh, whatever it was. Just, oh, man. I don't you know, understand even, the NFL this year. What's even crazier is uh, Zach Ertz and J.J. Watt's wives play on the same soccer team. So now both husband and wife pairs are teammates. Touching. Very heartwarming. <laughs> in different cities. That's the, if, if they could both end up in Chicago or if there's a <laughs> women's soccer team in Arizona, that would be the only thing that could make this story better. I prefer J.J. Watt and Zach Ertz straight to Chicago, though. Like, just for clarification. <laughs> I figured. I wasn't even going to ask, but clarified. Uh, <laughs> I think that's going to do it for the NFL and for college. This was a pretty good review here. Great week of football. I know we got another great one coming up. I I just love football, dude. I'm so glad we're in the middle of the season. It's like there's football to the left of me, football to the right. Stuck in the middle with you.
I think that is going to do it for our show here today. Do be on the lookout for bracket time. We're still in the middle of our Heisman winners bracket, counting down the greatest Heisman Trophy winner of all time. The brackets on Twitter this week will be Troy Smith versus Steve Owens, Herschel Walker versus Jim Plunkett, Desmond Howard versus Danny Werfel, Doug Flutie versus Jason White, Ricky Williams versus Tim Brown, Gary Beaven versus Marcus Allen, Glenn Davis versus Davey O'Brien, and Barry Sanders versus Ty Detmer. Some incredible names on that list. We need your help big time on Twitter. At BDT Football is where you can find those polls. And I know I've been shouting out some of the links kind of throughout the podcast here today, but go ahead and give them to you now. You can also find them in the description of this podcast, but we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash BDT Football. Certainly on Twitter at BDT Football. Our website is www.bdtfootball.com. You can email us, mailbox at bdtfootball.com. Also, if you support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bdtfootball, it will help improve the show, which is always a good thing. Think of it like, you know, supporting your favorite sports media franchise, which is what we are. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm finally remembering this Thursday I should be on the NFL carousel. I will share the link of the video to our Facebook page as well as Twitter. However, if you want to go straight to the source, you can go to Fantasy and Flavors. Even if for some reason they end up not wanting to talk about the Bears this week, which I don't know that I want to talk about the Bears this week too much, I will still share uh, the video there. And I hope you guys give it a shot and check out the carousel. I love doing it every week. And uh, what I would not love is living on Venus because a day on Venus lasts longer than a year on Venus. And that sounds miserable because I thought I aged five years during the Bears game this week. And I literally would have aged a year in the time it took me to watch the Bears game this year, this week. So just absolutely awful. You know, if the Bears played well, I bet that year would go by a lot faster. That's that's very, very true. And, you know, <laughs> we don't have Tug this week. So we don't get his catchphrase, but it's back, baby. Peace out, Girl Scout. See y'all later in the week. Wow, what a great podcast.